0: Are you aware sitting in your seat right now, you've been called for a specific purpose or destiny? Okay, Colossians 1, 9 in the Amplified, we prayed it, for this reason, from the day we heard it, have not ceased to pray. He calls it a special request, asking that you would be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will or plan. He has a plan for your life. You have to pray that plan out. You have to pray that plan out and comprehensive insight into all spiritual wisdom, into his ways and purposes. So you can know the purpose behind the plan. And in spiritual, and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things, no matter what you've been denied, no matter what's gone on in your life, whether if you're on your second or third marriage, second or third bankruptcy, how many many has Donald Trump been through? bankruptcies, denied entrances into the first, second, and third colleges of your choice, no matter what you're facing right now, you have to keep in mind that as God has called you for something, he has called you for a specific purpose, and I'm not necessarily talking about the five-fold ministry. He's not going to call you to a purpose and then not anoint you for that purpose. You will be anointed. Yeah, and if the word purpose, there's a process for you to get to your purpose. And this this sermon, uh, really, I was probably about a year ago. I was, I was, uh, I was like, what is my end, end purpose? You know, what is it? Is it this? Is it? It's fine if it's this, but is there anything else? And he got me to a sermon by a man named Michael Todd out of Tulsa that is what is dr- what drove this sermon today. I wanna give him credit. We talked a little bit two weeks ago, the devil cannot destroy you if you don't quit, but he will distract you to keep you from understanding the ways and purposes of God. He's gonna use distraction and he's gonna use discouragement. Distraction to get you off track from your purpose, discouragement to to get you to quit early before you reach the purpose. Today we're looking to refocus. It might be little adjustments or big adjustments. A lot of times it's just little or just the Holy Spirit using me as a mouthpiece to give you a minor adjustment so that he can fill you with the full deep and clear knowledge of his plan for you. No matter what you 've been through you 're called by God, and He has a purpose. He tells us you're, that you were formed in your mother 's womb and that He knew you even then, that He called you even then, that he had a plan for you, even then he has a purpose for you, and only his thoughts are thoughts of success for you first Samuel sixteen six and seven we 're going to take a little bit different view of this uh, widely preached about story here. Um, these are the brothers of David. When they had come, he looked on Eliab, the eldest son, surely Samuel, the prophet, uh, just the, probably the most spiritual man in the country, thought for sure this is the guy that's gonna be the future king. The Lord said to Samuel, "Look, don't look at his, his appearance or at the height of his stature, for I, I've rejected him. He rejected him for to be king of Israel. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Two Saturday nights ago, we said, the world sees the visible. God sees the invisible. You cannot see your heart. You cannot see your soul. God does not judge you by your education. He does not judge you by the number of your Instagram followers or the zeros in your bank account. God straight up tells Samuel, people judge by the outward appearance. I look at what's on the inside. And we go from there. I work with them from there. So you have uh, the second in line, Abinadab. Uh, he uh, he said no. Then the, the uh, Shammah steps forward. Lord says, "I have not chosen him." Seven more kids step forward. Samuel says no. And then in First Samuel sixteen eleven, he said, "Are there any more? Are there any more kids?" Jesse says, "The youngest." He's tending the sheep. If you study it out, it wasn't even very many sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, "Send for him. We're not doing anything until you send for him." And his earthly father didn't even define him by his own name, defined him by a characteristic that you would call unattractive in the Jewish culture. God has called you for a purpose, a particular purpose. People will look at you, what you've done, what you're currently doing, and sum you up and label you as that is what you are. Oh, she's the one, she's the one on her third marriage. He's the one in the middle of a bankruptcy. That guy did 120 days in jail. He just got out of jail. It's, it's not a big deal to God. Peter, Peter cut off a guy's ear. 44 days, stood on the steps and won 3,000 people to the Lord. I mean, that, that, that way if I cut somebody's you, you know, Jim Jim can't be in the pulpit because he, he, he cuts an ear off a, parent, off a parent after a basketball game. And, and so we gotta keep Jim out of, the, out of the pulpit for the next nine months. He can't come back in. No, Peter was there 44 days later. He won 3,000 to the Lord. So you've got David His own father, not even calling him by name, but describing him in the order that he was born into the family. So Samuel tells Jesse, send for David. And 1 Samuel 16, 12, Jesse sent, brought him. David had a healthy reddish complexion, beautiful eyes, and was fine looking. He must have been. If if the Holy Spirit decided to put that in. The Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him. This is him. So the Lord tells the prophet, this is the one, anoint him. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The hits that hurt the worst are the ones that you don't see coming. But when you know where that shot is coming from, you can be prepared. There's a few things that are gonna happen to you that the enemy uses to keep you distracted enough not to know your purpose or so discouraged you just can't see it. And you can see this by looking at David's life. He was called and anointed in private, in a private meeting for the purpose of God. And I understand we wanna know our purpose, what, what God has for us now, what God wants to do in your life is something that he cannot do on display when it's still in seed form and under the soil of life. We want everyone to know what, our, what, what we sense in our hearts Maybe God did give you a word at that conference or Mac Hammond prophesied over you. Maybe he did touch your life sitting in the back row of that service and you had an experience. Why is God intentionally approving you in private? The easiest time to kill something is when it's in its infant stage. People are putting their goals, their dreams, and their visions all over Instagram in the infant stage and the devil is using people to stab Kill and drown everything that God's called them to do immediately. Yes. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, that 13 confirmed, raised from the dead. A lot of people, 22 unconfirmed we don't know the real number. 13 confirmed means there were witnesses. He was a plumber till he was 50. He didn't even start his ministry till he was 50. They tried to get uh, uh, Jesus right away by killing thousands of little boys under the age of two in one region because it was easier to get him then than when he was in adulthood. Just because everyone doesn't know doesn't mean you haven't been anointed and called to a purpose. And I rea- reiterate, I'm not necessarily talking about the five-fold ministry. David was not even invited to the anointing ceremony. David wasn't even trying to get into the anointed party because David was with the sheep, content with the presence of God. You could say out there in the field, unseen, unappreciated, using the presence of God to literally kill lions and bears and singing psalms with his auto harp. (laughs) Perfecting himself as a musician. And at a certain point, he was sent for. And when he gets in the room standing before his jealous brothers, if you read the story up until Goliath, you understand his brothers were jealous, and God proved him, anointed him, called him, and gave him a purpose on the spot. But what happened after that? We don't read about him going and telling everyone that. Like Joseph did. What happened to Joseph? Later when it came time to go to war, he's bringing grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers that were in the field with the army. And there are people in this room that know God has called them to greater things than they are doing right now. I don't care if you're 60 or 70. You know what he can do for you in 20 years? Your life can be better in the next 20 years than it's ever been times 10. And you're still called and anointed to that purpose, even though no one else in the room knows what that purpose is. And if you, if you do not see that coming, you'll start doing things to get people to notice, and they'll speak death into something that's in its infancy. 1 John 2 27. But as for you, this is to Christians the anointed, the anointing, the sacred appointment the unction which you receive from him abides permanently in you. Oh, that could mean a lot of things. That means it can't go unpermanent. Does that mean you may not lose your salvation? Does that mean, oh, once saved, always saved? No, I'm just saying, why would it say permanently? Why would he say that then? Why would the Greek mean permanent? Doesn't leave you. No matter what you do what does it do you don't have any you don't have to hear from anybody else to tell you what to do but this anointing teaches you concerning everything everything no falsehood you're called to do something and anointed to do something and very likely could be called to numerous things and anointed for numerous things and i know there's a, i know there is a Old school mentality. Oh, you just? If you're going to be a pastor, you just have to pastor. Well, go tell TD Jakes that who's a movie producer, a book writer, and I, I mean one of the biggest churches in America. I don't know that he's called to one thing, and he will tell you he's not called to one thing. If you study the life of David, it's over and over and over the words God says. Uh, God was with David when Saul is chasing David around the hills of En the Holy Spirit makes a point to say and God was with them we'll walk through those hills a three hour hike in April through the very hills that Saul was chasing David and if you can't make the three hours we're going to leave you behind <laughs> with some water Maybe a guide. All right, so. <laughs> well, why was God with David? Because David was with God. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you God was always with David because you, you can see it in the Psalms. He's constantly reaching for God, looking for God. When God's not there, he's saying, where are you, God. He is, it's like I used to read it in the early 2000s saying he's such a baby. It would be actually anti-old school word of faith to be saying, where are you, God? Well, you have him, bless God, you have God. That's what they would have told. But David says it all through the Psalms. If he didn't feel like God was there, he was asking, where are you? I am down, I'm being attacked. Do not hide from me are his words. He's demanding him. And when he felt like he wasn't there, he's asking, where are you? You could almost say he was constantly putting pressure on God to show himself. At the same time, reminding himself that God was there. A lot of people want God to be with them, but they make very little effort to be with him. And God is not going to intrude on your life and your busy schedule. You have to make room for him. He stands at the door and knocks, the Bible says. You've gotta let him in on a regular basis. Really, just to be straight, you should be talking to God more than anyone else in this world. Every day. It should be an ongoing conversation. James 4, 5, how how do we know he wants this? Or do you suppose, in the Amplified, that the scripture is speaking to no purpose? That says the spirit he has called to dwell in us yearns over us and yearns for the spirit to be welcome. He wants you to welcome him. How often do you welcome him? And he's jealous if you don't welcome him because something else is being put in front. Why would he yearn to be welcome? Well, let's read in context the verses right after that. But he gives more grace. Oh, well, if you welcome him, you get grace. Grace. Wherefore, he saith, he resisted the proud. So he's saying, if you don't welcome him, you could possibly be proud. Gives grace to the humble. If you welcome him, you're humble and get grace. At that point, once you welcome him and you have that grace, you're able in the next verse to submit yourself before God, and then you are able to resist the devil. Then James four 8, come close to God, He will come close to you. You're anointed before you're positioned. David goes into the room. Samuel anoints him to be future king. I would be like, okay, we're going to the palace. Take me to the palace. But David's next move, if you study it out, was right back to the pasture. I'm just wiping this spit off Charlie's forehead. <laughs> was back to the pasture. Well, God, I think David writes about the pasture. Psalm 23, one through five, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, God shield me. I shall not lack. He makes me lie down and fresh tender, green pastures. He leads me beside still and restful waters. My question is, do you slow down and lay down in the green pasture? Because this is key. If you count, a lot of things, I, times I read things in order. He puts something before something else for a, to make a point, right? He makes you lie down in the, and leads you by the still waters. Why? He refreshes At that point, he can refresh and restore your soul, And you have to realize, look in verse 3 in the Amplified, not by your earning it. So you have to come to the conclusion that you can't earn it yourself, that you have to actually lay down in the pasture, let him take care of your soul, then he's going to take you through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death where you fear or dread no evil for he is with you and you know that his rod protects you and his staff guides you and he actually comforts you while you're walking through death valley but have you laid down in the green pasture yet maybe that's why you're having so much problem in the valley And it's only after the valley that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Verse five, you anoint my head with oil. So you've got David going back to the pasture after being anointed to be the next king of Israel. It was only God had to make him lie down in the green pasture. He had to be led by God by the restful waters. He had to understand how God could refresh his soul. And as it says in verse three, he had to understand he couldn't earn it. He had to walk through the deep sunless valley of the shadow of death and actually get to the point where he feared no evil. You can't tell me he feared evil if he made a run at Goliath. He literally ran at Goliath. That ought to tell you that he was to the point where he feared no evil. You can get to the point where you fear no evil. David was anointed before he ever got a position most christians think they're anointed they should arrive i'm anointed so it's time to be the ceo it's time to be the king it's time to be the head worship leader it's time for me to have a church plant you just told me i'm going to be the next king of israel let me have it but if you read david's story he had to slay a giant and go on the run from saul for 10 years for nothing that he did wrong God is saying, I'll anoint you. I'm gonna send you back to your sphere of influence where you came from and you've gotta make a difference there all the time welcoming him who's knocking at your door. So you have the anointed future king of Israel that goes back with the sheep and the goats. That's what we're all going back to tomorrow, correct? (laughs) We're going back to the sheep and the goats. And God's watching to see if you make a difference there. Can you be a light in the darkness of your school or business? Will you be a representative that goes in and changes a situation at your place of employment? Will you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not just to know that I'm there, but represent him in the valley of the shadow of death? So I'm anointed, right, God? He says, yes, go back to the sheep. Well, pastor, I've got, I've got prophecies in me. I've got songs in me. What God wants to do in your life, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but he's watching to see, does he even get the glory for what he's doing now? So I'm asking you, how are you waiting to fulfill that call and step into that anointing? Waiting. Because you're anointed for something, and if you don't get anything else out of today, I would hope you just leave this service at least asking God, what have I been anointed for? Check your desires. It's not just how you're waiting, but how are you actually waiting? Can I help you, ma'am? Waiting. How are you waiting? What do you want from me, God? What, what, what you want me to go to get that? You want me to, uh, who do you want me to build up today? I'm talking about little things. In the midst of my own tribulation, who do you want me to build up? We're talking about a heart check. How many times do you see God anoint someone, call someone, but then it seems as if He sends them into a place they don't want to be? And that is the battle the battle of our expectations and our experiences not matching. I'm supposed to be a CEO and a philanthropist. I'm supposed to be the person who pays for ministries to get started. That gives away hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. But God says, I'm the miracle worker, but I need your obedience through the valley of the shadow of death. I need you to be able to lie down in the green pasture. I need you to welcome me to restore your soul on a daily basis. If you're going to be anointed before you're positioned. You're going to be anointed before you're positioned. Sometimes it's long before, and I know these are basic verses. Proverbs 3 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding. In the Amplified 3 6, in all your ways, no, recognize and acknowledge him. Do you really try to recognize him in everything? What happens if you do that? He'll direct, make straight, and plain your paths. This is what's supposed to happen in the waiting process to step into your anointing, to step into your eventual call or calls. It says, lean not to your own understanding. Let's just break that down. What does that mean? It means you have to trust him and be confident in him because it's not gonna make sense. If he's telling you, don't pay attention to what you understand, what that means is it's not gonna make sense. There are times it is not gonna make sense. In your own understanding, it will not make sense. Side note, same chapter. In context, Proverbs 3.9, it's not gonna make sense. Honor the Lord with your capital and sufficiency and with the first fruits. That doesn't make sense to most Christians today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. What do you mean? Honor the Lord with your capital insufficiency, side note. The Bible just tells you to trust in him. You're not gonna be able to figure it out. You're not gonna be able to understand it. In all your ways, you're still going to have to recognize and acknowledge him. God is looking at the posture of your heart not, and not a plan from you. He's not looking for a plan from you. Think about all that he had Gideon do, that ridiculous stuff. The final plan to propel Gideon to a legendary warrior status had not even been revealed to Gideon. And, and just look at all they went through to get that 300-man army. He didn't know what he was gonna, how he, what he was gonna do. It flat out says, trust in God with all your heart. Don't lean on what doesn't make sense in your own mind. It says, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, he's gonna make your path straight. Worry is a product of your own understanding. I contend based on this scripture, the more you worry, the more crooked your path will be. The longer it will take to get there. We're talking about you being an answer to a problem. What am I saying? After David had been called and anointed to be the next king of Israel, he goes back to the pasture. What's he doing in the pasture? Spending time in the presence of God. I'm guessing out there in that pasture to get into the presence, we know he was a worshiper. I'm sure he was meditating. How does he come up with all, that's probably where he came up with a lot of those psalms. What do you do if you just feel like you don't know what to do? Some of the best piece of advice I ever had from Patsy Caminetti by being mentored by her for two years personally was if you're in a dry place with God, go back to the last thing he told you to do. Either you weren't there long enough or you haven't done it all and it could be encourage that person. (laughs) Then he tells you the next day, someone you, you don't even like, encourage that person. I'll even tell you what to say to them. What's the last thing God told you to do? David had no GPSs to map out his purpose. It was literally years before he took over his call as the king of Israel. When you go back and read his story, he became the answer to a problem. I'm gonna paraphrase this, 1 Samuel 16, 17, and 18. Well, I'll say verse 18. Saul was being tormented by evil spirits. He's like, I need a musician. Get me a musician, hint, hint. Music helps with spirits. Verse 18: one of the young men said, I've seen the son of Jesse, and he plays skillfully a valiant man of war. Goliath, the next chapter. Prudent in speech and eloquent and an attractive person. The Lord is with him. He was in the pasture. So Saul's being tormented. Isn't it interesting, the first answer, and it sounds pretty concrete to me, to tormenting evil spirits is music. Don't you wonder how, how did they know that David was gifted musically? God made sure somebody saw him. The right person saw him, the right person heard of him. That guy said he had seen him. How did they know David was a man of war? Goliath hadn't shown up yet until the next chapter. Chapter. How did they know he was already a man of war? God made sure somebody knew about the lion and the bear that he killed with his bare hands. My question is Did David fill out an application to be Donald Trump's personal musician? David did not fill out an application to go to the White House. David did not use connections to get to the White House. David was just doing the last thing God told him to do, which was okay, you've been anointed now, go back to the pasture, hang out with the sheep and the goats. David was doing the last thing he was told to do, spending time in God's presence, perfecting what what was in his hands at the current time. He was not pushing any issues. He was not pushing an agenda. And then he was sent for. The White House sent for him. When you're doing what God told you last, you'll never have to vie for a position. You'll never have to hustle and sell yourself for a position. They'll send for you. And if that doesn't work for the, you know, today it doesn't work for that ambitious culture. Get your grind on. Get your hustle. Promoting yourself on Instagram. And TikTok with all your dance moves. (laughs) I know there's people that don't know what TikTok is. I've got my own TikTok account. It's pretty impressive. You should check it out. I'm kidding. They sent for David while he was in the pasture. So you have David coming to the White House as an answer to the problem. Some of us, including myself, are sitting here so deficient in the skills God gave us that you don't even work on it anymore. If David couldn't play that harp, if he wasn't currently sufficient and up to date in his, in his musical skills, he wouldn't have been able to go to the palace. But in the pasture, he was working on what was in his hands So you got David going into the palace, the place that he already knew he was called and anointed to be in, but he didn't walk into the palace as a king. He walked into the palace as a servant. The palace he was supposed to be ruling over and he knew it and came in as a servant. God will allow you to taste your future not as a person of interest, but as somebody to serve. Uh, You guys remember Robert Tilton? Huge church in the 80s. John and Lisa Bevere were his assistants for years. For years they served Robert Tilton. Many times we get frustrated because we know we're called. I'm sure John Bevere knew he was called. That book, Beta Satan, was five years out. God tells you, yeah, I wanna go there But first, I want you to serve someone. You're not going to get the mic. You're not going to be in the meetings. You're not going to be a starter. You might not even play in the game. The platform is just a raised position of what you would do off the platform. If you don't do it off the platform, you're not going to get up on the platform And I'm talking to myself, if I'm not nice off the platform, I'll never get onto the platform. If you can't love others off the platform, you'll never get on the platform. God is saying to you today, wherever you're at right now, become the answer. To the problem. Go back and serve someone for a year and ask for nothing. See if he doesn't direct your path. We're not talking about connections, we're talking about allowing and welcoming welcoming God to mold your heart, even while you're walking through death valley. You don't need their title or position because you know you're anointed before you're positioned. David was qualified for a promotion to get to the next level in life because he tormented what tormented his leader. You wanna go to another level, find someone you call a leader and torment what torments them. The boss that you don't like and does not like you, ask the Lord to help you tackle that boss's biggest challenge are you even asking him for that and don't ask for a pay raise once you do it cuz god's trying to work on your heart so if you really look into the story of david he's humble enough to be working in the palace as a servant but if you study it out he goes back to the pasture after he gets his foot in the palace how do we know that first samuel 16:23 when the evil spirit from god was upon Saul. David took a lyre and played it. So Saul was refreshed and became well and the evil spirit left him. So he's Saul's personal lyricist. Well, 1 Samuel 17, 20. So David rose up early the next morning, left the sheep and the keeper with a keeper. Sorry, Charlie. (laughs) Left the sheep. (laughs) Last night, I actually made it four rows back. I saw it in the light. Two of them hit a husband and wife. <laughs> he left the sheep with a keeper here. And we'll come back to that. You've got him leaving the pasture. Think about this. He knew he'd been anointed to be the king. He'd killed a lion and a bear. He knew what he could do physically with the Lord's help. Yet you've got him delivering food to his older brothers who weren't anointed to be king and he simply does as he's commanded it doesn't say jesse asks it said jesse commanded him to bring food to his brothers most people don't react well to commands first peter 5 6 therefore humble yourselves what does that mean in the greek demote lower yourselves in your own estimation Under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because then you'll be exalted. Well, let's look at this. What's the estimation of yourself? You have to lower it. (laughs) That's what we just said. You want to be exalted, you have to lower the estimation of yourself right now. You know know what a good time to do that is? Apologizing when you don't think you need to apologize. Because there's nothing worse feeling than that. It feels good after. But leading up to it, it's hard to do. I had a small victory and did it last week. <laughs> Just to move on in a situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel as if you have to do that, you have to apologize for something you didn't do? You could call that lowering yourself. Because that's what the Amplified says the Greek definition to humble yourself is. When, and I'll tell you what, when you have to do that, there's some suffering in that well, what a coincidence, 1 Peter 5:10. And after you have suffered a while, after you humble yourself, lower yourself in your own estimation, after you suffer because it's going to cause you to suffer, you've suffered a while, the God of all grace who imparts all blessing and favor, who's called you, he's called you he elevates you at that point. Makes you complete Grounds you, establishes you, strengthens you, and settles you. Just for that one little thing, I'd be like, you know, I'm Donald Trump's personal auto harp guy. I'm not gonna go deliver grilled cheese sandwiches. I'm 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 in the White House. So David had gotten himself into a position or a platform in front of the king, but he was still doing what he used to do. A lot of times, that's just a straight-up test to see if you've still got the humility you used to have. You know, the Lord spoke to me about this uh, back when we were down in the uh, the other campus, all 12 grades, and I was athletic director. I I was still working on bitterness from this, but I was so mad that they didn't have the maintenance people to to mop the gym. I, I mean, it took an hour and a half to mop the gym if you did it right. I was so mad about that. In three years, I mopped that gym 89 times that I counted. And I was still just telling someone the other day how I mopped that gym 89 times. And I was working on this sermon. The Lord said, yeah, but would you still mop it? Would you go back and mop it now? I was like, ooh. (laughs) The same humility you once had. Well, Jim, God takes us from glory to glory. But maybe you're not going to glory to glory because you won't go back and do the things you once did. So you've got David really showing us his opportunity is wrapped in, in, in really a type of obedience. You know? It had to have been a big deal at his house that he was getting... Face time in front of the king. What happens if David was in obedience to his father and did not bring the grilled cheese sandwiches to the army? There's no Goliath. There's no cornerstone staple of his life. That thing that's supposed to propel him in so many ways never even happens. Then you don't even have the scene of David having that conversation Listen to what he says. I hit on this stuff more last night, but verse 46. They're talking trash to each other out there, right? Goliath's like, come to me. In verse 44, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, a host, and the God of the ranks of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will smite you, and then I'm gonna cut off your head. This is gristly, if you think about it. Cut off your head in front of all your men, and I'm gonna gonna give the corpses of your men To the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And then these are the key words. And all the earth may know. All the earth may know. All the earth still knows. And folks here, we got a David and Goliath matchup today. It's a David and Goliath matchup. (laughs) They're still talking about David and Goliath. The world understands David and Goliath. All the earth will know. He was prophesying. So if he doesn't take that grilled cheese sandwich, all the earth wouldn't know, and he may have stalled himself another three to five, maybe even 10 years from stepping into his call. But God keeps telling me to go volunteer at Maple Grove Athletic Association. I don't even like sports. And God says, yeah, well, you're still single and your husband's there. That's why I'm trying to get you there obedience is not about the other person. It's about God getting your heart. In context of obedience, I'm talking about being obedient in the little daily things to that still small voice. Even if someone pops in your head and you have a tongue language and you haven't thought of those people, in 20 years, you're supposed to pray. You don't have to do an hour even if it's a paragraph of tongues. That's obedience. Many times it involves other people. This obedience. Your next opportunity could be wrapped in obeying that prompting. Notice David. He, at verse seventeen twenty in First Samuel, he left the sheep with a keeper. God will never call you to leave something undone to go somewhere else. The church can really be messy about this. Oh, he's called me to do this and it's just a wreck over here. So you've got David leaving his responsibility to another shepherd because David knew God was either leading him somewhere or trying to work something in him or his heart to where God wanted to eventually take him. So David started in the pasture knowing he'd been anointed for the palace, but you can't tell me that wasn't a process of him getting there. It was over a decade. A process from the pasture to the palace. When you're called and you're going through this process, you'll be elevated through obstacles, okay? And this is this is what takes most people out. I mean, a lot of what's preached in Western culture Christianity is to avoid the obstacle, or if there are too many obstacles, you have taken the wrong path. And really, that's what, You've got Israel doing what the Philistines, they're retreating, they're cowering. You've got a whole army, a trained army frozen in fear. This guy out there just trashing God. And here's David's comments, 1 Samuel 17, 26. He said to the men, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? David's already thinking, I could kill this guy. What shall be done for the man? What shall be done? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So you've got David saying, I'm not gonna listen to this. You've got thousands of grown men taking a step back from the obstacle and you've got a 16 to 18 year old boy. <laughs> First Samuel 17:48, when the Philistine came forward to meet David, David ran quickly towards him. Ran at him. What was he running towards? He was running towards the obstacle because he saw an opportunity. Are you getting what I'm saying? He saw the obstacle as an opportunity. Obstacles and opportunities can be the same thing depending who's on your side. Romans 8, God is on my side who can be against me. Why do you think David saw an opportunity here? Because when David was in the pasture and no one was looking, God taught him some things. He taught him things behind closed doors where no one was watching. God is gonna teach you some things behind closed doors if you'll make the effort to get in the closet and close the door like Jesus said. I mean, even Saul said to David, if Samuel, 1 Samuel seventeen thirty three through 37, you can't go fight this guy. You're an adolescent. He's been a warrior from his youth. He's been trained. David said, your servant kept his father's sheep. And when there came a lion, or again a bear, he, the, the lion and the bear took a lamb. They took a lamb and tried to get away, is what he's saying. I went out after it. So in other words, he chased it down and, and delivered it out of its mouth. I went out after it, caught it, and hit it, is what he said. I caught it and I hit it. And so it dropped the lamb. And then it came after me. And I grabbed it by its beard. I hit it again and I killed it. I mean, can you even picture this? Your servant killed both the lion and the bear, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies. He keeps talking about the living God. He knew his God lived, he knew their God didn't. You know that fish thing? That man fish? Well, that's a sermon. Remember when they had the ark? The Philistines had the ark and they kept putting in front of their God? And they come back in the next morning, that that God would be broken in pieces? (laughs) David said in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. So Saul says, go for it. David's like, I was in the pasture. I was forgotten. Really, wasn't even counted as a member of my family. If you look at the fact that his father Jesse didn't even respect him enough to uh, uh, to show him to the prophet, but you think about there in that pasture, you think that's where he was practicing with probably the sling. <laughs> David's saying to Saul. This is the first time you're going to see this, but I know what he can do because he's on my side. David's like, I've already done this. He's basically saying to Saul, God taught me some stuff when no one was looking. He's saying to Saul, God told me how to take what I have and do something with it. I'm telling you, you don't need everyone to see, but at some point, you will be elevated. And God will get the glory because of what he taught you in the valley of the shadow of death or even in the green pastures. Just like David did in the pasture, you have to steward over what you have while no one is watching. Because God's saying one day, I'm gonna need you to do this in front of everyone or at least a form of what you're doing now. And when that happens, you can't flinch. You have to run at it. We're talking about being approved by God in private. So let's sum it up real quick here. What have we talked about? We've talked about being approved by God in private. You're anointed before your positions. You have to be content with where you are. This is very important. Philippians 4:11: not that I'm implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content. Satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. So ask yourself are you content right now? Whether if you're in the Death Valley, Green Pasture, are you content? Have you learned? to be content. We're talking about working on your skills until you become an answer to a problem. We've talked about your next opportunity would be wrapped up in obeying those little things. Obedience being spoken in context of little daily directions by God. He gives you again and again. Yes, you're gonna face obstacles, but they're not there to take you out. They're there to elevate you. In the end, you've gotta step towards the obstacles. You know when they tried to put Saul's armor on, it didn't fit. One day that armor did fit, probably did fit David because he would be king. God was not expecting David to put on a bunch of armor that wasn't his to kill Goliath. God said, I'm gonna use you how you are now. Get your little slingshot out. You have to be you. Because that's what he knew. That's what David knew. That's what he had perfected. You don't have to talk like anybody, dress like anybody. God said, I made you, you. We're talking about not conforming to others because they are successful in one area. God gave you an individual fingerprint and an individual DNA for a reason. If you're called, you're called to be you, a version of yourself. And one final point here as we close. You could call this the cornerstone victory of David's life. Right after he kills the giant, 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9, as they were coming down home, when David returned from the, killing the Philistine, the women came out of the Israelite towns, singing, dancing to meet King Saul with timbrels, songs of joy, and instruments of music. And the women responded as they laughed and frolic, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry for saying, displeased him, the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me, they have ascribed only thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul jealously eyed David from that day forward, so, you've got David doing something that's still being spoken throughout this day and all the earth. And immediately, the devil uses people that don't even know they're being used, actually celebrating him to set him up for a decade of hell. You would have thought he was close to the kingship after that, right? Pay attention to what happens after that victory. I study study any military theology at all. What's the best time to attack right after you've been beaten? If you can pull your forces together and you can go after them, you hit them with everything you have immediately after a loss. When's the best time to score a goal in soccer right after you're scored on? You get that victory, something's coming. And it shouldn't be fear, I'm just saying have your eyes open and pay attention Saul spent a decade trying to kill him. We're talking about honor here. Last point. Listen to this. Saul took, 1 Samuel 24, 2, Saul took 3,000 men to hunt David down, chasing him up there. Uh, Verse 3, they came across Saul. He was actually sleeping in verse 3 in a cave. And David's men, in verse 4, say, kill him. God's given him to you. Kill him. David cuts off a part of his robe, all right, to prove his, what his heart is. And then verse six, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my master. This guy's trying to kill him with 3,000 people. The Lord's anointed to put my hand out against him. He's been anointed by the Lord. So David checked his men with these words and did not let them rise against Saul, but Saul rose up and left the cave. You know, oftentimes after the major victory, someone you helped, someone you may have promoted or gotten a promotion, someone you may have mentored, someone you may have taken hours helping, maybe promoting, elevating, will, in your opinion, stab you in the back. This is after a victory now. So Saul turns on David. David still honors him, calls him his master to other people. But you know, you know what he did when he, he, he showed Saul? He's like, hey, look, I got it. You know what he did? Read, go back and read it. He got on his knees and put his head on the ground before Saul. Put his head on the ground, prostrated himself. Out, think about that. you talking about humble? This guy's trying to kill him. Put his head on the ground, as submissive as he could possibly think of being. So, said my master, for he is the Lord's anointed. Until God moves Saul or your boss or your person that's a frustration to you, trying to kill you or hurt you or damage your reputation or damage the reputation of your kids or just doesn't respect you, they could still possibly be your leader. Maybe God isn't dealing with them based on their actions, but you don't want to disqualify yourself and set yourself back five to 10 years based on your own actions or reactions. Honor is a big subject in the Bible. If you don't have the audacity to honor, there are people in here, they know they're called by God and life has hit them and life has hurt them. We're talking about God taking you from the pasture to the palace. We're talking about about letting God take you through the process and acknowledging him the whole way, trusting him the whole way, being in communication with him the whole way, having to sense the know when he's testing you and when an obstacle is an opportunity. We're talking about allowing God to bring you through the process of Death Valley to the point where you can lie down in the green pasture. You know Death Valley. As I was writing, <laughs> trying to figure this thing out, I found myself. Uh, my voice is is not there all the way from basketball, but I was going, sitting there, going, dun 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 dun. <laughs> Do you know who who knows that? Nobody knows it. It's called Big Valley. You don't remember the Bionic Man? Before he was the Bionic Man, he was in the Western called Big Valley. And that was the theme song. But because, isn't that funny? As a kid, I loved that show. And just because I'm saying Death Valley over and over, I find myself humming the song to Big Valley that I used to watch when I was seven. Okay. I don't know what kind of point that has, but. We're, we're talking. We're talking about God. I'll, allowing god to bring you through the process of the death valley to the point where you can lie down in green pastures you fear no evil because he's with you to the point where he restores your soul and you're content in death valley valley to the point where you're sitting down relaxing at the table at what whatever you want in the presence of your enemies for all the nachos chili dogs with extra onions you want and you're content. It's a process. And so I just, we'll just go ahead and, and close here. Um, I just, this prayer, it's, it's I kind of have over the years just, uh, I just want you to see it. We're just going to agree. And I'm just going to, I'm going to pray it. And, I, and you guys aren't ready for this, but not just Colossians 1, 9. Amplified 1, 9 through 14, let's pray it over our children. What do you need it? Do your children need a path? Do, you, do their paths need to be straight? You know you can make your children's path straight. You can go a long way to make them straight, even after they're adults. Can you guys throw these, these scriptures up? And I'm asking for all of it. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I know you're, you're scrambling in the TV room because you weren't ready for the, the rest of the prayer. It's a prayer. Kenneth Hagin prayed every day, three to six times a day. Said he was a completely different person and his life completely changed. So Lord, we just, we're praying the prayer of agreement right now over our places of employment, over, our, over our, our businesses, over our families, family relationships, children, over our own futures, over our marriages, reputations, In the name of Jesus Christ, we do not cease to pray and make special requests for us, asking that they would be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of their call, what they've been called to, what your plan is for them, knowledge of your will for them. And all spiritual wisdom, what's that? Comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, what his purposes are for you. And in understanding and discernment of spiritual things, I pray we would walk and live and conduct ourselves. He says, pray that. Pray that you would walk and live and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of him. Pray for the desire to please him. If you don't have that desire in all things, bearing fruit in every good work over every person in here, that they would steadily grow and increase in and by the knowledge of you. What does that mean? You're going to have a fuller and a deeper and a clearer insight into him, acquaintance with him, and recognition into him. Fuller, deeper, and clearer. That's, that's the biggest part of the prayer to me. Fuller, deeper, and clearer. Insight, acquaintance, and recognition into God. I pray we'd be invigorated and strengthened with all power according to the Your glory. I'm talking power to heal right now. Power for our bodies. Power for our intellect. Power for us to use over 10% of our brains or whatever it is. For every, why? For, so that we can exercise every kind of endurance, patience, perseverance, and forbearance and do it with joy. Thank you that we are qualified. You're qualified. Right now. You can't get unqualified. You can't unqualify yourself. What? And fit to share the portion of the inheritance. Well, do you know what your inheritance is? Because it's a lot more than we're getting. Maybe that means we don't know it. Maybe we need to pray for it, as Paul does. Prays for his inheritance in the pre- Ephesians 1, too. <laughs> Fit to share the inheritance, our inheritance. We are God's holy people in the light. Thank you that every single person is delivered from the power of darkness. Addiction. Fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, slander, gossip, fault finding. Strife, division, competition, jealousy, pride. Delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. Isn't that interesting how he ends it with the forgiveness of our sins? In other words, for this to get answered You've gotta know you're forgiven across the board. And so we're gonna go ahead and and close.